I'll start running through the announcements, and those who are still talking, you can read them later. <laughs> this coming Wednesday, we'll be in uh, Exodus chapters 11 and 12, looking at the Lord's Passover. We just had communion, and uh, Exodus chapter 12 sets up a lot of what Christ did as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this is foundational a chapter in the Bible, Exodus chapter 12, 11, setting up chapter 12 as we get into the last plague that will come upon Egypt. And so I titled Wednesday's Teaching the Lord's Passover. This coming Saturday, we have men's study breakfast happening again. So 8 to 10 a.m. is the normal time and men's study breakfast coming up this Saturday. We did get some word for Today Bibles which is a New King James Bible with commentary by Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement, in, in the Scripture itself. And so you get to read the Word of God and hear or read from Pastor Chuck at the same time. Uh, there's three of those remaining in the book room if you're interested in that. David Fiorazzo got back to me and he said, let's pencil in March 20th. So David Fiorazzo will be with us again on March 20th, and uh, Friday's Stand Up for the Truth broadcast, if you want to give a listen to something. I thought it was worthwhile. I broadcasted. Uh, we always have David on Friday evenings, and so I let that one be the broadcast for Friday. I don't normally pick the Friday show. I have five shows to pick from each week and uh, only get to broadcast one. But I picked it because it was a pastor talking about how church used to be. One of the things that stood out to me, and i just uh, interested in the book he's written about the church, is that years ago, like when I was a kid, so long, long time ago, communities, what he said, and I'd never heard this before, they had many small churches with the average of about 80 families per church. And so communities were saturated with churches and pastors teaching uh, their community and then 80 families for a church is, uh, I would say we averaged between 40 and 50 families here through the years that I've been here. It would maybe like double the size of our fellowship, which would be a nice, healthy fellowship. And now we're in the age of mega church and seeker-friendly messages and getting away from the expository teaching of the Word of God. And so if you want to listen to a good broadcast, David Fiorazzo's Stand Up for the Truth last Friday show. Also, uh, Amir Sarfati and Jack Hibbs did a Happenings Now last Wednesday. It's an hour and a half of listening to Amir and Jack talk about events that's going on in our world, in our country, and focusing on the coming of Jesus Christ. So worth listening to. They take some question and answers from the audience toward the end. But... Uh, so at the beginning of it, if you do watch it, the information's there in your bulletin. He's talking about football at first. Just listen to it and go buy it. And then Amir and Jack just get into God's word. And uh, it's, it's a worth listening to, from my opinion. I enjoyed listening to it. All right. Um, if you haven't been part of our prayer updates, if you're listening online through the radio, would like to be part of that, please email us at our church at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. If you're here, you can just fill out your email address and let us know that you want to be on that list, the prayer list. And we've had some pretty big prayers uh, this week and God answering some uh, big prayers for us as well. I would remind everyone when you think about praying, Pastor Sandy Adams, his son Zach is in his 40s. He pastors the church as well. In Georgia, um, he has been on life support basically because of COVID. His lungs, his organs had shut down. And there's been some improvement this week. Uh, the doctor said, I need to see a sign, you know, that he's going to recover. And Sandy happened to be there. Only one person a day can visit, and it was his turn on Wednesday. And he asked, what kind of sign do you need? He goes, I need him to open his eyes. I need him to talk again. And uh, within the next 24 hours, he started responding with blinking, uh, attempting to talk. But, of course, he's on a vent and maybe a trach. I know they were going to do that as well. Uh, the 
kidney specialist said his kidneys are functioning normal again. So he says, you don't need me anymore. But um, he still has a long way to go. He started, uh, you know, he had a good period on Thursday, I believe, and then retracted back a little bit. But Zach Adams, a young man, struggling through it right now. And so we'll pray for him in a moment. Last thing before we get into our teaching, just for those who faithfully support our ministry through the years, we thank you so much for the tithes and offerings coming into this place. Over the last couple of years, it changed for us with the video and the streaming. We uh, have people who are supporting us outside of our fellowship as well, and it is greatly appreciated. It's allowed us to do much more than we anticipated that we could do. And God is always faithful. So for those who are listening, watching online, uh, you can go to our church's webpage at cclv.org and find out information about our church, how to give, or how to leave a prayer request, a number of things there for you. For the rest of us, there's an agape box in the back if you choose to give. And I want to pray for this morning's offering and lift up Zach Adams this morning as he's on my heart right now. And so, Father, we first and foremost just thank you for this place you've given us to come and to worship you, a place, Lord, where people have for, it'll be our 30th year here, Lord. You've allowed us to be established in this community for this coming December, 30 years. So we give you praise for that, Lord. It is the work that you have done through the people of God who have attached themselves to this place And we thank you, Lord, for the gifts and the offerings that are given that we are able to maintain. But also, Lord, my desire, I pray that it would be our desire, is to prepare this building, this grounds, the property physically, but also prepare the hearts spiritually for a new generation of worshipers to gather in this place. And Father, we don't know how long. It'll be until you return. We look at the events of the world and we think, Lord, any time now, you'll be coming for your church. And so, Lord, we do pray for that. Come, come quickly. But we also know, Lord Jesus, that your word tells us to do business, to occupy until I come. And so, Lord, as a church body, we want to occupy. We want to do business and we want to prepare for however much future you give us that we might serve you in this place. And we do pray, Lord, for that next generation. Lord, the world is spinning lies toward them, and they're empty lies. They're cisterns that cannot hold water. And I pray, Lord, that there would be a great revival, that people would come to faith, come back to the faith, to find the hope that you can only give, the freedom that only comes through you. So we thank you, Lord, for the gifts given here, for the work that you've called us to. And now, Lord, we ask for Zach Adams to just bring him before your throne, even now. And I know, Lord, in in this church, we have many requests. Pastor Sandy Adams has been a blessing to the men's ministry at the men's retreat, uh, retreats, actually several of them that he has taught at. And now his son is just in a great place of great need. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to help his lungs, his organs to recover from the starvation that I guess COVID had caused his condition. Lord, I just pray for a renewal of him. While I'm thinking of it, Lord, um, Pastor Bill Goodrich, who had a stroke last Monday, this Monday, passed, uh, pastor of Horizon Christian Fellowship. And, Lord, he's improving, doing better than expected. They say he has a long road of recovery. And so I pray for Pastor Bill. He's meant a lot to our fellowship as well. Now be with us as we look into your word this morning, Lord. Let it be a blessing to our hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we think about Christmas. Christmas time, we customarily here at the church, we focus on Mary and Joseph, uh, the angelic visits, the roles that are played out in Jesus' birth. We have the visits of the shepherds and the wise men, and, and these are normally focused on every year around Christmas time, whether you're here at this church or any other church. And it would seem that after the wise men visited Joseph, that the Spirit then directed 
them to flee to Egypt. And so the family, Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus, off to Egypt they went. And then at a certain period of time, it would be safe to return to the promised land, to Israel, and they would find themselves back in Nazareth. It would especially seem so if you just look at the nativity, because every year we have the nativity scenes that maybe we set up in our homes or not as much as they used to be set up in a community place or maybe in a churchyard. And we always see the animals. We see baby Jesus, Mary, Joseph. We see at least one shepherd and a wise guy, wise man there. And we would assume that it all happened that way. But we read the Bible and we learn that there was actually some things that took place between the shepherd's visit and the wise men coming to visit Jesus. And today we're going to look at the things that took place between the visits of the shepherds and the wise men. And we're going to find ourselves in Luke's gospel for this teaching. And we're not going to go all the way through Luke's gospel. We're going to pick up in verse 21, and then we are going to stop at the end of verse 38, because it gets to Jesus and his family returning to Nazareth, and we know that that did not happen yet. And so Matthew fills in the remainder of the account, what happened from what we'll look at today, before the family returned to Nazareth. Matthew will fill us in on that and the wise men, which we'll look at next week. And I, I hope there's still a bit left on the Christmas account but I'm hoping to kind of finish it off next week. And then we'll get into the baptism of John the Baptist and the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. And so hopefully we can get it in the Christmas part of this finished next week. If not, it'll be in a few weeks. But we'll do our best. Today we're going to look at this chronological journey through the gospels. I titled this According to the Law. I gave it the title of Chapter 5 because... Although we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke this week, next week we'll be in Luke and Matthew. And we'll find ourselves as we're going through the chronological journey through the Bible that we'll be pulling from different Gospels. And so chapter 5, this is our fifth week in this. According to the law, just think about that. According to the law, according to God's word, according to what God says. And that is one thing, as I was thinking about the message after reading through it again this morning, if we would conduct ourselves as Mary and Joseph conducted themselves according to the law, according to the word of God, according to what God says, then I believe that we would find ourselves as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So this message today, according to the law, we find the circumcision of Jesus in Luke 2, 21, Jesus's presentation at the temple, Luke 2:22 through 24. Simeon sees the Lord's Christ, Luke 2:25 through 35, and Anna's testimony, Luke 2:36 through 38. And we pick up our first point is one verse, Luke 2 verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So like John the Baptist and his circumcision on the eighth day, we looked at this with John the Baptist, his parents, Elizabeth and Zacharias, and how when Zacharias said, wrote out, his name will be John, his voice opened once again, he could speak, and he began prophesying to the people about the coming Christ and also about the work of his son as the forerunner of Christ. Now Jesus also, his circumcision day has arrived. Brit Mila is the term in the Jewish language, Brit Mila, and it has to do with the covenant of God that is being referred to here. In Genesis 17:10, God said to Abram, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. So Brit Mila, or the covenant of circumcision, is what that means, 
was a sign of God's covenant with Israel, a cutting away of the flesh to symbolize for Abraham and his descendants that they would live after the things of God. And here, Jesus' circumcision is done according to the law of Moses. Somebody last Wednesday night uh, visiting our church for the first time referring to the book of Leviticus being a very boring book in the Bible. Some people believe that is true. Uh, On Wednesdays, it'll be our next book that we get into. I don't view it as boring, but uh, we learn some things. Leviticus is very important in the sense that it sets up many things that connect to Christ. This is one of the things that we understand about circumcision from the very boring book of Leviticus 12, 1 through 3. I don't agree with that, but many people do. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. So we have two things being talked about in the law from Leviticus chapter 12. The woman and a period of her being considered unclean. And then the circumcision of the boy that she gives birth to. On the eighth day, she was deemed clean on the seventh day. On the eighth day, they would come to the temple and or to their Jewish rabbi in the area, depending on where they lived. But Jesus uh, was brought to the temple there in Jerusalem. It was Brit Mila, the day of the circumcision for Jesus. For the girls, it's called Brit Bat, and it takes place 60 days later. But it's also naming day. And that's in the second month for the girls, Brit Bat. But he fulfilled the law. Jesus said later, and this was done for Jesus in fulfillment of the law, but Jesus as an adult and as a young man would live in complete obedience to the law in Matthew 5:17. Do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill And so naming day, this comes from a a Jewish rabbi, the naming ceremony is considered to be one of the most important Jewish rituals and is the way of bringing blessing and good fortune on the new baby. The baby naming ceremony, Brit Mila is part of that ceremony, so he's circumcised and named on the same day. Or if it's a girl, Brit Bat, she's named on that day is also a chance for the community to show support and commitment to the physical and spiritual well-being of the child. The naming ceremony is a time of dedication and benediction and allows parents to explain why a particular name was chosen. I like the last line of that. Why did you name him Jesus? Well, Gabriel the angel told us to, said Mary. I don't know if she said that, but she could have. Why did you name him Jesus? Well, Joseph said, an angel came to me in a dream and said, his name shall be Jesus. And so we're just being obedient to the word of God. In fact, Luke 1, 31 through 33, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. That's the word that Gabriel spoke to Mary and the angel speaking to Joseph said in Matthew 1:21, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Part of the naming day ceremony is a chance for the parents to explain why a particular name was chosen. The name of Jesus was chosen because He has paid the price of our sin. Jesus Christ came to pay the price of our sin, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And they called him Jesus because he is the son of the highest who came to save us from our sins. In verses 22 through 24, we continue reading. And Jesus now being presented at the temple. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, 
were complete, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what was said of the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So now they're at the temple 40 days now. This is 40 days later, the days of purification. She had the seven-day interval, the naming day on the eighth day, 40 days. There's the appearance, and this is for Mary and for Jesus. And so we have two things going on at the same time. Mary's coming to offer sacrifice, two sacrifices, a burnt offering and a sin offering. And then Jesus is being presented before the Lord as the firstborn. And we're going to go back to that book in the Old Testament, Leviticus, to learn about this. I hope that you can stand it. I'm going to read four verses uh, there in Leviticus, actually five. So it, it might be hard. But it was at the time of Jesus' presentation that this burnt offering and sin offering were offered, not for Jesus, but for Mary. And this is what the word says. I'll just read it from my tablet here. Leviticus 12, verses 4 through 8. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. So 33 Days, so 7 plus 33 gives us 40. Verse 5, but if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as is the customary impurity. And that customary impurity simply means the menstrual cycle. And so as is the customary impurity, she shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days. So distinction between male and female they had it in the Bible days. We don't have it today in our day, but God knows. I just threw that one in there for you, not in the book of Leviticus. <laughs> when the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering, a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. These offerings are for her. She shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or a female. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a burnt offering or the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. So the mother was to present a lamb for a burnt offering, a lamb of the first year, and a young pigeon or turtle dove as a sin offering at the time of her purification, whether having a son or a girl. The process was the same. It was just, you know, a different timeline for the two. So Mary was there to offer, to make this presentation. She had no lamb to offer. When she came, all she had was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who would later offer his life as a sacrifice for our sins upon the cross. But the Bible does tell us that she offered two birds. So it really tells us that Joseph and Mary did not have a lot of wealth. They did not have a physical lamb to offer for a burnt offering. But one of the birds, whether a turtle dove or a young pigeon, one of the birds was offered as a burnt offering, the other one as a sin offering. And Scripture speaks about this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, speaking about the lowliness of Christ himself. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 tells us, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Though Jesus Christ was rich, dwelling in heaven's glory, for our sakes he became poor. He came to this earth to live among us, that he might offer his life on a cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, that we in our poverty might become rich, have the riches of salvation being afforded to us. So Mary's sin offering 
was a requirement for every woman who birthed a child, whether male or female. Now David wrote about his mother in Psalm 51.5 saying, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin, my mother conceived me. And in those words, David is simply stating that every descendant of Adam and Eve, that we have an inherent sin nature. Just as Paul wrote in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as one man, sin entered into the world, death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all had sin. No masking will prevent this sin from coming upon you. You're born into it. You cannot avoid it. But at the same time, though not recorded in the gospel, Joseph and Mary would have redeemed Jesus from the Lord for five shekels of silver according to the law of the Lord. So Exodus 13:2, God says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whoever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. So initially God said to the nation of Israel, and this is for the people of Israel, initially God said, Every male child who opens the womb shall be a priest unto me. So there was to be a priest in every family, every household, no matter what tribe you might have came from. But because of Israel's sin, God brought that down to one tribe, to the Arianic descendants, the descendants of Aaron, that that became the priestly tribe. But yet still, People had to purchase from the Lord, whether man or beast, purchase them back from the Lord with, according to Numbers 18:16, at one month old, according to your valuation, five shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 giras. I know you guys understand that better now, understanding what a gira is versus a shekel. Anyways... It was necessary. So these were five silver coins. And so there was a redemption in a sense. You're redeeming back from the Lord. Mary's purification and Jesus' presentation. They were done in accordance to the law of God. And that's all we need to know. That according to the law. They've done all things according to the law. Even these things being done for Jesus when he is unable to do them for himself. Jesus later saying... I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, not to destroy, but to fulfill. So it was while they were there, Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35, and we meet a man named Simeon. I titled this the consolation of Israel in verses 25 and 26. And the Bible tells us that, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was a man who was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, for the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So here we have an account of a very faithful elderly man who had been faithfully serving God for many days and somewhere in the process of his service to the Lord, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that you will see the Christ Messiah before you die. And the Spirit prompted him to show up at the temple that day. And so he's being promised, a promise by the Holy Spirit that he would see the Lord's Christ and then prompting of the Holy Spirit to go to the temple, to be there on the right day, I think it's somewhat important. You never know when the Lord's going to pour out His Spirit upon a church, so it's good to be at church when those days might happen. You never know when the Lord is going to do a work, but Simeon, being a just and devout man, uh, being just, it refers to walking in accordance to all that God requires of him. So he was a man who walked in the law of God. So he was also a good man. He was a devout man. He was thought of as being uh, doing right, or the commentary here says rightly. 
But the first occurrence of this concerning Simeon, that he was just and devout, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the promise of the coming Messiah. He had well and rightly received the promise of God. That is a fundamental meaning of this word, eulabase, that word that means devout. He had received from the Lord this promise, and he took the word of God seriously. This word for being devout, taking the word of God seriously, understanding what the word says, and walking in fellowship with God. He came to see uh, regarding the consolation of Israel. It comes from the Greek word. I've said this word for you before because it's used to describe the working of the Holy Spirit in our life. That is parakletus. In the Greek, it means someone who comes alongside, such as a legal assistant might come alongside you if you're going to appear uh, in a courtroom setting. A parakletus would come alongside to help you, lend you support. That's what that word means, an encourager, a comforter. And this is a word that's used for Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus would refer to the Holy Spirit as another comforter like me, another paracletus like me. In John 14, verses 15 through 17, the word tells us, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So Simeon was to see the Lord's Christ and to say a blessing over him. God desires to send his Spirit upon our lives as well, to be that paracletus, that comforter, but also that we might comfort one another. Paul wrote about this in talking about the comfort of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts, who comforts us in our tribulation, in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble, for with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So we desire, like Simeon, being guided by the Paracletus, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, came to the temple to see the consolation of Israel, the Comforter of Israel, Jesus Christ. And he being comforted by the Holy Spirit, seeing the Lord's Christ before his death, the promise being fulfilled to an individual, he in turn then gives a blessing over Joseph and Mary and really concentrates on Mary herself. And so it was, verses 27 through 31. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, I just get this image of, here's a strange old guy saying, give me your baby. <laughs> Some parents wouldn't be ready for that. But they were blessed because they allowed Simeon to take up the Lord's Christ. So he took him up in his arm and he blessed God saying, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory of your people, Israel. So being directed by the Paracletus, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, Simeon came to the temple to see the Lord's Christ, the consolation of Israel, the Paracletus of Israel, the Comforter of Israel. And he offers a blessing to God, says a word over Jesus himself. And Jesus speaks about this helper again in John 14, 26. And this is something that's for us to this day. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to remembrance the things that I said to you. The Holy Spirit becomes our helper, our teacher. And after seeing the baby Jesus, Simeon took him up in his arms. He blessed the Lord God for 
fulfilling the promise that God had made to him to see the Lord's Christ before his death, but also proclaimed that the Messiah's coming was not done in secret, but that Jesus Christ was prepared before all the world, all the nations, the faces of all the people. And then finally, Simeon proclaims a twofold purpose of Jesus' coming. First, Jesus is a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, Jesus Christ is not presented as solely the Christ or the Messiah of Israel, but of the whole world. And in Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7, the word tells us, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. And God speaking to his son in this passage, prophetically speaking to Jesus the Lord saying, I have called you in righteousness. I will hold your hand. I will keep you. I will give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. So Jesus Christ, first to be a light, to bring revelation to the Gentiles, second to be the glory of your people Israel, to be the glory of Israel. Again, Isaiah 4.2 says, In that day the branch, again speaking of Jesus, describing him there as the branch, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. The fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. That Jesus Christ, Simeon, proclaiming two twofold purpose of Jesus' coming, that Jesus is the light of the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. And then Simeon speaks a word to both Joseph and Mary, but concentrating on Mary in verses 33 through 35. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And though Simeon spoke a blessing both over Joseph and Mary, and that blessing isn't given to us in Scripture, Luke concentrates on the portion of the blessing that was directly related to Mary herself. Some theorize that because Joseph is believed to have died before Jesus went into his public ministry, that they concentrate on Mary, who is seen throughout the Gospels and is seen with the church after Jesus ascended into heaven. There in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus ascends into heaven. Mary is with the church praying. The last time we hear of her being mentioned in the scripture. So a special word is spoken to her. That Jesus Christ is destined for the fall and rise of many. And ultimately, all who reject Jesus will fall in their sins. But those who accept Jesus will rise up from their sins. Because they have received the gift of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. Those who reject Jesus ultimately fall in their sins. But those who receive Jesus will rise from their sins because they have received the Lord's Christ, the work of Jesus Christ, and his death, burial, and resurrection, that gift of salvation that's offered to all of us. Jesus would later say in John 3, verses 20 and 21, Talking about the unrighteous and the righteous, the unjust and the just, good versus evil, we might even say. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they may have been done in God. So there is a difference in this world that we live in today. There are those who walk in darkness and they hate the light. They hate Christ. They hate his church. They hate the things that the church stands for and the very word of God itself. 
But there are those who desire to know the truth of God and they want to be exposed by the light. They want to see clearly. The older I get, when I think about the importance of lights, if I take these off, you guys get all blurry out there. So I wear glasses that I can see your faces smiling clearly at me or just to plainly see your faces. But it's not just the glasses that help me see, it's light. We see clearer in the light of day. Give me more light, I can see better. And that's why uh, operating rooms, think about that when surgeons come in and do surgery and, and the lights that they have in that room that they can see clearly. The Word of God becomes that light for us. It helps us to see clearly in the darkness of this world. It helps us to understand truth when people are spinning the truth in so many different directions that you can't know up from down or left from right. We need the Word of God in that sense to be light to us. So first, Simeon told Mary that Jesus would be destined for the fall and rise of many. Second, Jesus was for a sign which will be spoken against. Now, one of the great preachers in times past, Spurgeon, wrote of this portion of this sentence, Jesus was for a sign which will be spoken against. This is what Spurgeon said. How true it has been. The cross has been to many a stumbling block. And to the worldly wise, it has been foolishness. And so it will be to the world's end. Now, Spurgeon didn't just come up with that on his own. Paul wrote about it. Isaiah wrote about it because Paul's quoting from Isaiah when Paul wrote in Romans 9, verses 32 through 33, saying, For they stumble at the stumbling stone. For it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whomever believes on him will not be put to shame. And so Jesus Christ, a sign to be spoken against. And third, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So imagine how it would be for Mary to watch Jesus suffer and die upon the cross. And no doubt it pierced her soul as we read in John 19:25 that there were those who stood near the cross, his mother first in that list in 1925 in the Gospel of John. And finally, that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. So three things he spoke to her. First, Simeon told Mary that Jesus would be destined for the fall and rise of many. Jesus was for a sign which will be spoken against. A sword would pierce through Mary's own soul. And finally, the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. And that's the work of the gospel, to reveal the hearts of each person, that we are all sinners destined for hell, except for those who cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might be saved. The Bible tells us about our hearts. In Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, give to each, every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. The Holy Spirit, who reveals to our hearts that we need Jesus, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. When this revelation comes, we have a choice to either receive Jesus Christ or to reject him as our Savior. And just know that only Jesus is he who can restore our sin-pierced souls. And then Anna's testimony, another worshiper there at the temple, a woman named Anna, gives testimony as we close out today in verses 36 through 38, saying, Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Penuel in the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all who looked for the redemption 
in Israel. So Anna, she had been married seven years. Her husband died. She was a widow of a great age, about 84 years old. She had served the Lord there in the temple. And this is an important part of the church. They didn't have a welfare system there. Um, the thought was, here Paul explains this to us, how to honor widows who are really widows, is how he words this. First Timothy 5, 3 through 7. Honor widows who are really widows. If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show a piety at home to repay their parents for it is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow who is left alone, trusting God, continues in supplications and prayers night and day. She who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives, but these things command that they may be blameless. So he, he talks about uh, women, widows, perhaps, who become busybodies. They're always getting into people's lives. And he said they're not really widows, really busybodies, but not really widows. Yes, they lost their husband. But uh, what he is talking about is what Anna is presented as in the Gospels as well. Paul refers to a real widow as one who is left alone, has no one else to support her. She trusts in God. She continues in supplications and prayers day and night. Anna is described as a prophetess. Uh, she's of great age. She is a widow of about 84 years. It said, did not depart from the temple serving God, fasting prayers night and day. And so she's there serving God. She's one of those people that people would have been accustomed to seeing and maybe even helping and supporting, who was there at the temple night and day, constantly praying, serving God. And without a welfare system in the Roman Empire at that time, there's estimated of some 5 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Widows, their children were often found in dire straits. Therefore, God called his people, initially families, care for your family. So children, care for your parents when they get old. Children, I'll be older one day. <laughs> but those who are fatherless, the widow, the stranger, God has a special place for such. In Deuteronomy 10:18, speaking about God, he administers justice for the fatherless, for the widow. He loves the stranger giving him food and clothing. And God becomes the example of what he desires us to be for others. Yet the real widows, those who trust in God, continue in supplication and prayer day and night. Anna is one of those who served God by fasting and prayers there at the temple of God. And while Simeon was giving his blessing over Jesus, Anna came walking in at some point, and afterwards she promptly began to give thanks to the Lord to speak of Jesus to all in Jerusalem who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. They were looking for, it's a Greek word that refers to, uh, to have this favorable view or reception. They're looking forward to, I can't wait. Oh, he's coming. A bride or groom, uh, think of a wedding and there's that anticipation of the groom seeing his bride on the wedding day for the first time. That's how we as the bride are to be. Maybe we do weddings backwards. Maybe it's the groom who should come in and the bride should be anticipatingly waiting for her groom. That's how it was in Jewish times. Uh, we reversed it in our times. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, denying ungodliness, worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for, same Greek word, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We are to be looking for the Savior's coming. 
And he is the redemption. It is a word that speaks about he who releases us from obligation, releases us from sin itself. Jesus Christ becoming that redemption for us. And I'll read a couple of redemption scriptures for you as I close. First of all, we have three, actually. Psalm 49, 8 says, For the redemption of their souls is costly. How much did the redemption of our souls cost? It cost Jesus everything. The writer of Hebrews explains that to us in Hebrews 9:12, not by the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus, by his own blood, entered the most holy place. And the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 7, that if we walk into the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And my question today, are you looking to Jesus for the redemption of your soul? Now, verses 39 and 40, I'm not going to read them. We'll get into these next week. But Luke says, after this, they returned to Nazareth of Galilee. But when we put the Gospels together, we know that some wise men first needed to show up and visit Jesus. And Mary, Joseph, and Jesus would have to take a flight, meaning fleeing from, not taking an airplane, of course, fleeing from to Egypt for a season because of King Herod who wanted to see the Christ child dead. So we'll look at that next week, Lord willing. But today, I just want to close with that question. Are you looking for the coming of Jesus, the redemption, the consolation of Israel, the paracletus, the comforter? Now, Jesus is coming again one day, but individually, as we receive him as our Savior, he comes for us one by one as he brings us into the family of God. If you have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I pray that you would do so today. And as the worship team comes, I'll be down front to pray with anyone who has a prayer need. If you uh, just need to rededicate your heart, pray to receive Christ, have a prayer need, I'll be down front to pray with you if you so desire. We do have prayer benches down front as well. If you'd just like to come and kneel and pray, please do that as we sing out this last song. Let's stand and worship together. So, Father, we thank you for your word you've given us this day. And I pray, Father, now bless us as we wait upon you in this one last song. We thank you for the teaching of your word. Now, Lord, we look to the work of your spirit in our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.